It's a good-looking group this morning, except for Daniel. But uh, we're so glad that y'all are here this morning. And uh, as the lights come on, I want you to take your Bible and turn to First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 4 as we continue a series called Thriving in the New Normal. I am excited that you're here. I'm excited that you're joining us online. And as we dive into Scripture, what we've been dealing with for the last few weeks is how do we thrive in what appears to be somewhat a new normal and not just survive. Make sense? We don't want to survive through it. That's not what God has called you to do. Regardless of the circumstance you've dealt with, dealing with, or will deal with in life, we're not called just to simply survive. God uses every moment of that to enable us to thrive in Him. And here's what we've learned so far as we've studied the book of 1 Thessalonians. Number one, In order to thrive, we have to have a legitimate conversion. As the Apostle Paul is writing to a church of Thessalonica, and he's dealing with this passage of Scripture, and he's writing this letter to encourage them to continue to thrive, he's very mindful of his past suffering and their current persecution. And he's telling them, hey, you can still thrive, but it begins with legitimate conversion. And then we moved on to last week. We continue to nurture that conversion experience through compassion and commitment. And we dealt with the trauma that Paul dealt with in Acts chapter 16 and 17. If you remember that, the book of Acts is the context for everything historical for all of the Pauline letters. That's Romans through Philemon in the New Testament. And as he deals with these Thessalonians, he's telling them, hey, I haven't abandoned you. I've dealt with trauma too, and through the grace of God, I've 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 moved through it. And through the help of others, we can too as God uses them in our life. And the deal is, continue to show compassion and continue to show commitment. Now, we come to chapter 4 this morning, and really we leave off in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 11 through 13. I want to throw that up on the screen for a moment because Paul prays a prayer for the Thessalonians. Then he transitions. Now, this is typical for all of Paul's letters. Now, I'm, I'm nerding out for a moment, so forgive me, okay? But here's the deal. Almost all of Paul's letters, Roman through Philemon, the first part of the book, he begins to deal with this deep theology. But the second part, he gives practical application and ethics. Does that make sense to everybody? And typically, there's a bit of a transition there. And here's your transition in chapter 3. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. He makes a prayer. He says, I want to visit you again. I want to see you again. In verse 12, he goes on to say, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. He says, I want to see you grow in compassion. We dealt with that last week, remember? Then he prays this prayer. May he strengthen your hearts so that, now that's important. You might want to circle that in your copy of God's word this morning. He wants you to be strengthened so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes with all of his holy ones. And this means this. He wants you to grow. He wants us to move forward. And the essence and the evidence of spiritual conversion is a changed heart. Not so much changed behavior. We've dealt with that, right? In our religious culture, we think, hey, if you're religious, if you're spiritual, You'll change your behavior. That is somewhat true, but it begins with a changed heart, a conversion. And then, it, and, then, and then things begin to change behaviorally. And we're going to look at that in greater detail this morning. Now, this past week, 
I was a huge, I'm a huge college football fan. And yes, in just about three more weeks, man, we kick off, right? Anybody, can I get an amen right there? Anybody with me? All right. So here's the deal. I, I Labor Day weekend, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to smoke something on my, on my smoker. I'm going to sit on my back porch and watch Georgia beat Clemson. That's my prayer and, uh, and hope and dream for this year. Some of you are laughing, laugh all you want. All right, here's the deal. But I've always enjoyed and respected Bobby Bowden. He was the head football coach at Florida State University. Amazing career, amazing wins. And he passed away this past week. And he was always known for a man of, of, of godly character and was not ashamed of his faith. And there have been all kinds of tributes and quotes about his life. And I thought it would be pre prevalent uh, to, to, to read one of his quotes to you guys this morning. It's been floating all over uh, social media and he says this your reputation is what people say about you your character is what God knows about you isn't that good let's say that again your reputation is what people say about you we all have one right good bad and different but your character is what God knows about you and that's what we're going to deal with this morning is we look at the heart of what is our character personally because whether we know it or not Thriving spiritually, thriving in a new normal, comes down to what's on the inside. What's happening to your character and how we're submitting to the Lord to see Him move in our life so that we're growing spiritually. Y'all with me on this so far? It's not just about our reputation, not just about what people think, but what God does internally for eternal purposes. And so we're going to dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we want to begin to answer this question, how does our character make us thrive? And I want you to understand that character is the evidence that thriving can happen. Character is the evidence that thriving can happen. It's what God has done in your life. If there's a legitimate conversion experience, if you truly know Jesus, things change. Okay, people? And after, and after Labor Day, we're going to start a whole teaching series on this. Called, it's based on the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit called Peeled. And we're going to peel back the layers of our life and understand what God is doing in us internally for us to produce fruit spiritually. But understand this. When you experience a type of legitimate conversion, when you know Jesus, here's what's important for us to understand. Your character will develop. It's the evidence of that heart change. And so we're going to deal with basically do's and do nots this morning, okay? And then next week, we're going to, the next couple of weeks, we're going to wrap it up into a wonderful little bow. But let's notice what happens here. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse through 12, and then we're going to tear it apart. So <clears throat> walk through this with me. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now that is the key right there. If you're looking for the thesis of everything we're going to talk about this morning, that's it right there. Let's look at it again. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You're going to see that phrase again in verse 10. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will. Now, have you ever wondered what God wanted you to do with your life? You ever wonder what God's will is for your life? Everybody say yes, right? One, two, three. Yes. We've all, here it is. Okay. Y'all ready? <laughs> it's in black and white right here. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now we're going to understand that word in greater detail in a few minutes. 
that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in the passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother and sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we are told and told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives us his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not read to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, here's that phrase again, to do so, what? More and more. All right. Now, we're gonna, if, if we could draw an imaginary line to that more and more, to the one you read in verses 1, it's important for us to understand that God is calling us to squeeze out his presence, wring it out more so in our life, and how we live in our pleasing him, and how we live in loving others. Make sense so far? Now, read a little bit further. Verse 11, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business. Okay, that's tough, right? I mean, how many of us, this is for free this morning, we're not even on script. How many of us scroll through Facebook just because we nosy? Just everybody, right? Man, he's looking for a new shirt. Wow, they moved. You know, whatever it may be, but we're nosy people. Like, we get our greatest gossip from the, from the people that cut our hair, and I cut my own hair, so I just talk to myself. Yeah, I mean, we, we do that. We're into that kind of stuff, all right? We want to know. I, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I have a family member, and they have a telescope, and it's not to look at the stars, all right? It's just being real. Me and you talking, right? Don't tell them. No, just keep reading. <laughs> you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, let's tear this apart a little bit. Because what we want to do this morning and give us, we, we want to give three understandings of what's happening in the church of Thessalonica, what Paul is calling to, them to in order to have that character, in order to thrive. And then we'll give some application on how to do that. Does that make sense to everybody? All right? So the first thing we got to understand is that in verses 1 and 2, Paul is saying a thriving character or a person who's thriving in a new normal has an adjusted perspective. It has an adjusted perspective. Now, what does this mean? Well, the perspective that most of us think of when we think about pleasing God, when we think about developing character, is we list out Ten Commandments, and if we're following them, we're good, right? Or maybe we have boxes and we check those things off every day of saying, I did this, I did that, I prayed daily, I read my Bible, I, I, I talked to someone, I didn't get too nosy, whatever it may be for you. But we typically look at our spiritual growth as do versus do not. Good decisions versus bad decisions. And that is part of it. I want you to understand. We're going to get to that in a moment. But here's what I want you to understand in greater detail. Go to verse 1 again. Notice what happens here. He makes this statement. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we, are instructed, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living. Now, that little phrase, please God, is the adjusted perspective. And what this means is this. Here, coming close on this, because this is so important for us to understand. Our lives 
are not meant to please the rules or the law. Our lives are to be lived out to please the lawgiver or the rule maker or God himself. That's a different perspective. Now, it seems really subtle. It seems like I'm saying the same thing, but get this for a moment into our brain cells. God saved you, not that we could be burdened by if we obeyed the law or not. God saved you that we would have a desire to dance for an audience of one, meaning himself, to please him. Now, the, 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 the sum of all that pleasing is doing the right thing and following his will. We're going to read that in just a few moments. Remember what we said a few minutes ago, this is God's will, right? But here's the deal. How many of us have lived in such a burdened mindset because we've been more concerned about checking the list off rather than pleasing the maker? Y'all been there before? That's drudgery, is it not? And many times, even in our own churches, we've reduced spirituality to legalistic perspectives. Is that if I do this, I must be a good Christian. If I attend regularly, I must be a good Christian. If I follow these principles, I must be a good Listen to me. Listen to me. The Pharisees were good about following law. They were the lawmakers in ancient, in ancient Israel. And Jesus made this perspective or made this observation. He says, the outside of your cup is clean, but the inside is nasty. And for you and I, appearances only go so far. The objective has to be to please the lawgiver, God himself, the king of kings. Years ago, I had the opportunity to speak at Mississippi College. Um, it's a Christian school in South Mississippi, and it was August. And at these Christian colleges, and, and if you went to college and you didn't go to a Christian college, you, you'll, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about, so I'm going to give you a little context on this. They have chapel services every day. You go into a chapel or to a, a sanctuary that they have on campus. You sit down and you have worship. And the thing is, it counts as a class, and so they take attendance, and you have to get your card scanned or your hole punched or your card punched or whatever it may be and in order to get credit so that, you know, at the end of the semester, you pass chapel. It's just attendance only. And typically what happens is it turns into just this routine, and students, and some of you are nodding your head, you went to Christian colleges, students will go in there, they'll take their school books and catch up on the homework that they missed in the classes that they're going to take right after chapel, or they chat with somebody, or texting with somebody, or they're eating lunch. It's not necessarily the greatest spiritual experience on a college campus. Now, there are times it's really great. And so I was asked to speak at this chapel service, and it was the first one of the entire year. So I travel there, and in the community where Mississippi College was located, the mayor in that community had just died, and there was not a church big enough to have his funeral except for the chapel at Mississippi College. And so that was full during the chapel service. But because this was a required course, they brought a flatbed trailer out onto the main campus lawn and put up speakers and a worship man and said, this is going to be chapel today. Now, it's August, it's South Mississippi, and people don't want to be there. Now, I want you to think through this moment. This is a beautiful front lawn. There's oak trees surrounding. You know, it's a real pretty, like, live oak trees with the Spanish moss hanging off of it. And so I'm standing, and I, it was so hot, I thought I was going to spontaneously combust. It was ridiculous. Had to put on my sunglasses, and I'm looking down the, uh, the, 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 the uh, 
place where it was being held and there was a huge lawn and on each side there were oak trees like I said and nobody was on the lawn and everybody was clumped around oak trees so I just had to walk over here and talk and nobody was in the middle and everybody was talking they were playing games and the only thing that was happening was a guy was walking around with a little scanner beep beep okay you're here beep beep you're here and then people would leave and I'm just preaching my guts out man I'm about to die I got to catch a plane in about an hour and a half I have sweat through all of my clothes because in South Mississippi at a Christian college at chapel you have to wear like not shorts you know what I'm talking about it was awful and as I sat up there I'm thinking this is pointless even the administration was over there palling around and having a coke and I'm like Lord I'm preaching for an audience of one now <laughs> and you're it God taught me something very valuable in those moments it's not the people around us that we're dancing for it's for him that's the adjusted perspective and that's what's happening in first thessalonians see the thing is is that, that paul's making it really clear guys listen i want you to follow the rules but don't follow the rules to please me or have a good appearance follow the rules to bring glory bring glory to the rule maker make sense so important for us to get this then we dive a little deeper notice what happens next it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, I want to leave, let's put that verse back on, on the screen. Verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, I want you to leave that up there for a moment. I want you to understand what that word sanctified is. Many times you'll read scripture and you'll come across some big words. You're like, I just don't know. Y'all ever done that before? Have no idea what that means. And sanctification or sanctified can be one of those words. And I want to I give a little context and give you a little definition because it's important before we move forward. Our sanctification is God's will. Well, what is sanctification? It means becoming more like Him. It means growing spiritually. It means growing in holiness and understanding of God in a changed life. That's what sanctification is. And if God wants you to do anything, wants me to do anything, it's become more like Him. And so understand this. Before you were a Christian... You were lost, but God saved you, and you were justified. That means you were placed in right standing before the Lord. And simultaneously in that moment, you were adopted into his family. And he can't renege on that adoption. It's him. Make sense? Then you're being sanctified. And finally, when he comes back and you go to heaven, you will be glorified. Does this make sense to everybody? So think about this process, justified, adopted, sanctified glorified right now if you're a christian you're being sanctified you're being way more like him through your circumstances through your effort through your decision making everything that we do god's will for you is to be sanctified and you're not left alone on this later on the passage it says hey the holy spirit is in your life that's god in you and he's empowering you and convicting you and moving you to grow spiritually you follow that but it's also your effort too see salvation justification is 100 percent lord sanctification is you and the Lord make sense now here's what I want you to understand here our sanctification is God's will he gives a specific event, example go to keep let's throw back verse 3 up there again he said it's God's will for you to be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality now why does he put this one up there because he goes into about four or five verses a very awkward conversation with the people of Thessalonica here's the reason Number one, he's writing this letter from what is known as Corinth. 
And Corinth was a, just a terrible city. They were steeped in pagan rit ritual, and most of it had to do with sexual prostitutes. They did everything that they could possibly do that was immoral, and there was no holes barred approach. And he was writing to the city of Thessalonica, which also had this mentality. In fact, they would worship a god called Capri, I believe is how you pronounce it. And in those days, they would worship that god, and the rites, R-I-T-E-S, of worship was sexual immorality. That's how they proved their worth to this guy. And so, in order to be right with the Lord, what they knew as Lord, they had to do these things. And so here he comes into Thessalonica, he plants this church, and people come to know Jesus, and they have to be drawn out of that lifestyle, so he addresses this head on. And he says something very important here. Go back to what it says. Verse 4, that each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. And that is the matter, that no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister so he's basically saying this and I want you to understand this contextually he's saying look church sex is for marriage period anything outside of that does not please the Lord make sense now let's just be real with each other it's just you and I talking there's a lot of mistakes that have been made in this room and online when it comes to that however you've been redeemed and you can stay focused on what God wants for you and correct that mistake in your future but the second thing and here's what's beautiful here if you have kids you can teach them to save themselves from marriage sexually it's one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids outside of Jesus this is an awkward conversation is it not between us but man the impact that this type of lifestyle makes on a person can have devastating lifelong effects He's making this clear to the church of Thessalonica. And then he goes on to say this, verse 8, and that in no matter no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother and sister. And what he's saying here is this. He's saying simply, marriage is not legalized lust. And so there's two things we're going to draw out of this. Hear, hear me on this. Learn to self-control and learn to be selfless. Learn self-control and to be selfless. This is so important for us. This is a, understand what's happening here. This, this principle is a salve on every issue that we have. You got a problem with eating? Learn self-control. You got a problem with a neighbor? Learn to be selfless. You got a conflict at work? Learn to hold your tongue. These apply to almost everything, do they not? And the thing is, this is what develops our character. This is what causes us to thrive. And many times our brain messes up and it overrides us to a point where our emotions act out because we choose not to be self-controlled and selfless, right? In any area of our life. Anybody ever been there? And here's the point. As you and I seek to thrive and see our character grow, what we got to understand is self-control and selflessness takes us a long way. There's one more aspect of this. Let's go to verse 9. Notice what happens here. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you 
or yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do, all, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, here's that phrase again, to do so what? More and more. Okay, so let's think through this. Let's just let's kind of build this like we do with Legos. Lego block number one. What is it? Learn to please the lawgiver, not so much the law. Lego block number two. Internally, learn to be selfless and self-controlled. Lego block number three. What is it? Love people. You have something that you're directed to. That's the Lord. You have an inward change that's happening in your life. That's the selflessness and self-control. Then you have the outward have the outward overflow of all that. That's how you love others. Make sense so far? Now, let's kind of look at how that, how that plays out. Let's go back to what it says. Go to verse 10. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So notice this again. Our calling is to love one another. That's that principle. Love one another. How does that look? It looks like this. Let's go back to it again. Lead a quiet life. That means maintain peace and unity. Now, if there is anything in culture today, and even within our own families and churches, it's the idea of disunity and not having peace. Have y'all ever been there? So I'm going to tell you something here, and uh, don't run away when I tell you. This past week has been a challenging week in the Wheeler household because both my kids came down with COVID. It was wonderful. I've been, leading, I've been running a bed and breakfast all week long, meaning they stay upstairs, we mask up, we bring them their food, we knock on the door, and we run. You know, we didn't even let the dogs go near them. It was crazy. Now, I took a test this morning. I'm completely negative. I want you to know that. So if I hug you later, you're not going to catch anything. But because I stayed at home so much this week for self-isolation purposes and also to take care of our kids, I probably scrolled through social media more than I should, and I've watched the news way more than I should. And God, be real with y'all, that makes you bitter and mad, does it not? Oh, my goodness. But here's what I've learned. And, and I don't know if y'all, I mean, there are so many people debating so many things out there right now. Should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I get the vaccine? Is it going to turn me into a monster? What, whatever it may be, you know. Should I do this? Are these people lying? Who do I trust? I mean, it's just like blows my mind. And what is so obvious, is, and this is, I'm not talking about in culture, I'm talking about within Christianity. And here's what's true. Here, can I be real? Guys, when we can't agree on anything, we can't agree that Jesus saves us and be unified around that. Correct? We can agree on this truth, that we are all far from God. And we recognize that we were in need of a Savior. And we saw that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve for our sins and then rose from the dead. And we ask him to come in our life, and we're his saints, we're his children, we're his kids. That's worth unifying around, right? And more than anything else, whether you're a vaccinated or no vaxxer, whether you're a masker or no maxer, whether you're a Democrat or an independent or a Republican or a libertarian, whatever you may be, here's the deal. Jesus is king here. And he's the one we unify around. And when he comes to this place here in the text, and he says, do your best to lead a quiet life, Sometimes the best opinion is to keep it to yourself. And then he goes on to make some very interesting points here. He goes on to say this. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, meaning 
You're not called to be social revolutionaries, but to be Christ in the culture. And he goes on to say, and everything you do, if you talk the talk, do it humbly, but make sure you walk the walk as you do it. And finally, if you can, work. Don't be lazy. It's important for us to get here. Important for us to begin to apply. This passage may be more true today. It may be a calling on the church as a whole to say, you know, in a culture where everybody is pitted against each other for opinions, political stances, or whatever it may be, the church can say, hey, we love you. And we love each other. And the effect of that in verse 12, here's, here's the conclusion of that. So that your daily life may win the respect of who? Outsiders. Let's be known for what we're for rather than what we're against. But here's the deal. You might be saying to yourself, like I say to myself, I look in the mirror every day, I have so many character flaws. I have so many issues where I'm very selfish. And I have some really strong opinions about things that can cause some disunity. And I really want people to know I'm right. Y'all ever been there? And so there's some things in my life where I'm like, man, I really, really, really struggle. And even things I struggled with 10 years ago seem to continue to be the things I struggle with. Can anybody else relate to that? So I think it's important for us to cling to what I believe is a biblical truth. And I'm going to illustrate it from the point of view of lifting weights, something I very rarely do. <laughs> if you go into any kind of gym and somebody is doing a bench press or laying on the bench and they're lifting the weights up and down, y'all got that in your mind. Everybody knows what that is. The smart person lifting weights, if they're lifting heavy weights, has a spotter. And the spotter's job is if they can't move it up or if they get stuck instead of choking to death, they lift it off of them. Y'all with me on that so far? So put that in your mind. Now, most of my life I've lifted weights. And so I always had a spotter, at least when I was being smart about it. But there were times where I'd get wore out, it was too heavy, and I'd get stuck, and I'd shake, and I couldn't move any further. But a good spotter didn't just pick it up off of me. A good spotter just helped me along. Why does he do that? I'm dying here, man. <laughs> he does that. Because he knows even in the struggle, you're getting stronger. Can God lift that weight off of you? 100%. Why doesn't he all the time? Because through the struggle, you're developing character. And that character honors him. And it's the evidence of a changed life. And you're getting stronger through it. And so as we make our way out of here in a few moments, I want to give you three points of application and then two action steps. Application, really simple. Acknowledge there is a better way. For you to thrive, for you to develop a character, you got to, and I got to acknowledge there's a better way. There's a better way of doing things. Now, we all have those moments in our life where we say, okay, I'm going in the wrong direction. But here's the deal. Not only do you acknowledge there's a better way, but also receive it. And the great biblical word for receiving it, that's point two. Receive it is basically repent of it. You're going the wrong direction, you turn around and go the other. Acknowledge there's a better way, receive it, and then the last thing is this, encourage everyone, whether they're weak or strong, encourage everyone. The weak need encouragement because we're weak, but the strong need encouragement in their faith because 
they be- could become weak. And our job as a church is to encourage each other. That's what it means to love each other. And so as you leave here this morning, there are two things I want to ask you to do. First, I want to really encourage you to get connected to a life group. For students between 6th and 12th grade, we have them on Sunday nights, so be here at Merge at 6 o'clock. For adults, we have them all week long at different times, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, wherever it may be, and during the week. Sign up to get more information. You can do it by texting in the phrase RH Life Group to 55498 or put it on your Connect card. But take the step to do that. The second thing is this. If you don't know Jesus, come to a personal relationship with him by asking him to come into your life. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. On your Connect card, you can check the box that says, I need Jesus. Or you can text in the phrase, I need Jesus, to 55498. But begin to make those steps to say, you know what? I acknowledge this is a better way, and I want to receive that. Y'all with me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope we have in you. And I pray, God, that this morning that you begin to change us and adjust our perspective and overwhelm us with your grace. Fill us with your presence and strengthen us in every way. God, we love you. We're praying that you would move, that you would guide us, and that you would direct us. Thank you for being that living hope in our life and that we may have a perspective that goes way beyond just what we deal with here, but we know that you're sanctifying us through and through. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Guys, I am so grateful you chose to worship with us this morning. If you're online and you chose to worship with us, please make sure you text in the phrase new to RH to 55498. And also make sure if you're new to River Hills and you haven't gone through our experience at River Hills Luncheon, please make sure you sign up for that.